What's going on, everybody? This is Coach Ace here with another episode of the Complete Baseball Performance Podcast. Uh, we're going to continue to follow up with the discussion we've had the last couple weeks with our personal trainer and strength coach, Kip Steingart. Uh, last week, we talked about the assessment process and what it is we look for, how we go through that process. And today, what we're going to cover briefly is the the now what after the assessment process. So basically, try to get all you players and parents and coaches who might be listening to understand the program design thought process and how how we use the stuff from the assessment to, to create these programs for you. So, Kip, welcome back. Good to be back, Ace. So we'll kind of jump right into it. We talked last week about the assessment process, both from the baseball side and the, the strength and, and body composition, how a player moves, that side of it. So once we have all that information, all that data that we've collected, what is the next step in the process that helps us create programs? Right. So <clears throat> when it comes to everything, all the information that we had gathered from the assessment process and all the you know, various evaluations as well as performance testing that we'd take our athletes through, um, I'd say first and foremost, it's, it's important to be able to relate all that information back to the athlete and kind of the purpose behind some of the things. And then again, how those things are going to play a role in terms of what their goals are and how we can further help them develop, right? So um, giving giving them that that vision, right? Being able to paint paint the the picture of a of a positive outcome is, I think, incredibly essential as far as where we go from here and kind of like how we're going to dictate our programming and, and structure our programming, right? Based off say um, how many days a week a guy can come and work with us, right? And that's also going to play a big role in terms of what our model looks like and again how we're going to go about structuring it to ensure that we're essentially checking all the boxes as far as you know what am i going to do from a, a mobility standpoint a speed agility change of direction standpoint work on power development um you know plyometrics med ball sprint acceleration work as well as what our strength training and conditioning is going to look like and then um, always finishing up every training session with recovery process or the recovery protocols as well so there's um there's a lot of questions that have to be answered and there are a lot of boxes that have to be checked and i think one of the most important things with that as well is not only touching on what the athlete wants you know what their goals are but what their needs are but also what the what the coach wants and needs the athlete to accomplish as well and understanding that the athlete plays a big role as far as that decision-making process is concerned. Um, and it's important for you know ourselves as coaches to, to understand that there's a lot of give and take there as far as including the athletes in that decision-making process, right? We talked about kind of, uh, we wanna know what they've had success with in the past and what they haven't had success with too, right? So being able to merge what they've had success with and again, what they want and need to accomplish and then what we want them and need to accomplish ourselves. I think that's a good point when we're talking about the coaching aspect of it is is understanding that, you know, as people who've been doing this for a long time in the industry, we, we have, there, there's been clues left by other players as well as our own careers in which, which paths are more beneficial, which paths help us get to our destination in the most efficient and quickest way possible. But making sure not to take away from 
the athlete successes they've had, some of their comfort levels, right? We have to push an athlete past, you know, being too comfortable, but we have to understand that there are ways each athlete learns and there's ways that each athlete has had success in the past. And we, we don't want to lose that. That's a, that's a big coaching discussion in itself that we can draw into real quickly is just, you know, there's, there's the communicative, the communication based coaching model, which is out there, which is how it should be where the coach involves the athlete in the decision-making process. It's, it's not a dictatorship type of, well, you do this because I tell you to. If, if you guys are dealing with coaches or strength coaches out there who are saying this is what you do because I say so, run as fast as you can. And, you know, it goes into some of the other stuff we talk about. You, you know, when a player is being successful and an athlete is, is doing well in, in the gym, and, you know, maybe you can talk on this too, Kip, from the weight room side of it, but there are times that I'll do a lesson with a kid where I'll be <clears> quiet because they're having success, they're doing it, and I'm not trying to get it in the way. You know, I'm trying to allow them to have success, maybe give them a drill or two to try out, but if they're rolling well, like, I might say five words. And I feel like that's something that's very uncomfortable for coaches to understand is, you know, when your athletes are doing well, sometimes it's a good idea just to kind of shut up and get out of the way, right? Is that something you see in the weight room at all where athletes are, you know, doing well and I think they're almost expecting you to, like, overcoach them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, that kind of leads me to this point where um, I think it's important for us as coaches to, again, include them in that training process, right, to the point where they can make their own decisions. So it's important for us to ask them more questions, right? So uh, a lot of times when I'm observing them perform a lift, say a squat, for example, I'm just kind of sitting back and being the fly on the wall. Sometimes if, you know, I a lot of times I like to take my phone out and take a video so I can give them um, some, some video feedback so they can analyze it themselves, right? And I just want to know, like, you know, what, what they see, right? Um, so <clears throat> as long as they have a, a pretty, you know, a, a good baseline understanding of what quality movement looks like or movement competency looks like, but also what it feels like, right? Because, again, we're working with athletes and so much of uh, um, the feedback that we want to be able to achieve from them is going to come back to feel, right? I, I don't ever want to give them any clues as far as, like, where they should feel it, but... Um, you know, are they getting into the right positions, right? Are they, are they moving from the right places and are they feeling it in the right places? Those are a few simple questions that I like to ask them as far as being able to achieve, or as far as being able to get that feedback from them. And then from there, um, just, you know, essentially allowing them to answer those questions where they can make the adjustments themselves. Um, and a, another big thing with that is, you know, <clears throat> teaching them what good movement is, right? is essential, but also teaching them what bad movement is. So a lot of times I'll put them in the compensation pattern so they know what that compensation pattern feels like. And then again, that allows them to self-correct themselves and um, organize their bodies in the proper sequencing or positioning. And I think, you know, a big part of that, we, we don't want robots. You know, you don't yeah. want guys who are, you, you want to take what's working for them, the athleticism that they have and, and build upon it, not try to get them so so mentally focused on mechanic of this, mechanic of that, right? We want to be there to help them, cue, like you said, cue them in the right direction, but making sure that there are things that are feeling or are working towards achieving the movement, not towards making them mechanical robots. Mm -hmm. uh, so besides working you know, with the athlete, 
I think I don't think a lot of players understand the the cross communication that goes into you know writing programs and you know what we're talking about here guys is like when I see a throwing video or a hitting video obviously you know I have my levels of expertise but there, there are questions that I have to ask sometimes why can it, why does a kid struggle to hold heel connection why does a kid's hips look like they can't rotate almost like they're stuck and rather than me try to make a guess I go talk to Kip about like hey man like can you take a look at this kid if you haven't assessed him already or if you have like what did you see with like range of motions or certain restrictions he might have because those fill in some of the missing parts as to why a hitter or a pitcher might not be able to do certain tasks and then you know can you kind of expand upon like how we work with one another and then how we kind of communicate when we need to reference them out to somebody else yeah so like uh i think a Good example would be, you know, say for example, we both do our fair share of video analysis, right? So like, let's say for example, if we're working with a pitcher and um, we're looking at a video analysis of a pitcher throwing off a mound and, you know, what is one of the most common issues we always see, right? It's learning how to hinge properly at the hip, meaning can you load into the back hip effectively? So you take a right-handed pitcher, for example, right? Can they load into the right hip and again, maintain that connection from the ground to the foot connected to the hip? Um, more often than not, what you'll see with, uh, with an athlete that's unable to load or hinge into their back hip is you're going to see that back knee drift forward, right? So you think about that back knee kind of drifting forward towards what, third base, right? So how, you know, how is that compensation pattern going to affect the rest of the kinetic chain or sequencing, right, as the pitcher continues to go through his sequencing or, or motion? Right. So, I mean, what do you often what do you often see when you see a pitcher who's unable to load into the back hip and maybe their weight is shifting too far forward? Right. They're losing direction. But what is going to happen from there? Well, I mean, you, like you said, you're talking about certain things, posture, hip hinge, things like that. But, mm -hmm. you know, a, a kid's inability to hinge could could lead to something as simple as like, you know, they just don't load up as well. So they're not going to throw as hard. But right. you like you said, you start to see throwers start to drift forward. So now. We don't have any back leg drive. Uh, we start to compensate. So now when I don't drive with my legs efficiently, now my upper body has to take over. And you, you start seeing players have more glove pull towards one direction. They start creating more of a, a pushing pattern. And we talked about this last week a little bit as you, your body and your mind are crazy things. They know that they have to accomplish the task at hand. But how do we do it most efficiently, right? We'll, we're going to end up compensating, and that doesn't mean guys can't throw strikes. It doesn't mean they can't throw hard. It's right, but it's keeping them safe and getting them to do it consistently, right? And I, I just think from a yeah, from a position, let's say just from throwing, you see the kids who can't hinge properly. It, it's just a balance thing throughout. Like how can you how can you move fast? if you don't have legs to work with because you can't properly hinge or squat for that matter, right? Mm -hmm. and, and how can we stay balanced throughout? Because when we do, we want to move fast. You, you don't see pitchers ever move slow, right? Like right. When they deliver to the plate is an explosive movement. But if I can't control that explosive movement, the ball's going to go all over the place. So, I mean, in terms of something as simple as not being able to hinge properly can lead to location issues, Velocity issues. I mean, it, 
it it sounds very vague and but it, it's very true right losing something at the very beginning screws up the rest of the process both in throwing and hitting process yeah yeah so you know yes so that that's why we look at stuff and like i said then it comes down to i mean we both have a relationship we said we want to try to get you know dr fu on one of these conversations but it's just a you know a, a therapist that we like to refer out to and it, it's amazing the conversations him and i have had through text and i'm sure you've had the same ones right where i have an athlete i work with hitting and throwing and he's working with that same athlete he asked me what i see from a mechanical standpoint and he can go, okay, well, that makes sense because of X, Y, and Z, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes, you know, with the guys will learn and hear more about, like, PRI, the posture restoration stuff. Right. I mean, a kid's rib cage <clears throat> being stuck to something else can affect right. everything that happens. And I, I think that's really over a lot of people's heads. So, you know, hopefully we can have discussions to simplify that for people. But yeah like your body's going to end up compensating and it's going to perfect or it's going to it, it, it's going to mess up performance and put us at a higher risk for injury yeah exactly so it's like kind of sticking with um this this example that we're discussing as far as a pitcher throwing down off the mound and kind of doesn't have that ability to hinge at the hips well there's a lot of questions that you have to be able to ask well like why don't they have that ability to hinge at the hips right so it, you know, by all means, it could be a motor control issue, right? There, there could be a, a stability issue, a mobility issue, um, a lack of strength issue, a lack of power. You know, so many questions come into play here, which you have to be able to do is assess those things and roll those things out. So, again, that's why it's great to have somebody like, you know, Dr. Fu, who is an orthopedic specialist, and he can take a look at, um, you know, a very thorough assessment as far as biomechanical limitations are concerned. So, um you know, you might see a limitation in, say, pelvic positioning, right? And a limitation in pelvic positioning is going to lead to a limitation in, say, hip rotation. So maybe they have lost that ability to hinge at the hip because they're unable to rotate the hip into an effective position. So from his standpoint, that's great where he's able to essentially assess that issue and address that issue by giving the proper repositioning drills, mobility drills, what have you. Right, and essentially those are the things that are going to be included into a player's warm up, right? So, um, addressing those things in the warm up are going to teach them to get their joints into a better stacked or better starting position, um, and then following through with mobility work is going to allow them to access that full joint joint range of motion where they could fully express their strength as well as speed and power output. So, um, and then not only that, but looking at things like again video analysis but um just kind of being able to be in constant communication and collaborate between myself and you with the athletes that we work with um it's important that we're on the same page as far as like how we're coaching them as well as how we're cueing them right so like when it's doing say more specific speed and power development work like whether it's plyometric work or, or jumping work or med ball work all right and then specifically with this example using rotational med ball rotational med ball work as an example right you think about what a rotational shot put throw is well essentially that's just like it's like throwing a baseball minus the push pattern with the with the med ball i still have to be able to load load and hinge into my back hip right and then drive off that back side in the proper direction towards home plate um, and the rest of my body mechanics have to be in proper, proper sequencing as well as um, right timing and, and rhythm and coordination and speed development 
to develop the rotational power that we want to develop with the athlete. And, you know, guys, when we, when we talk about some of this stuff, obviously, you know, we, we get on our tangents and, and run away with more information than some of you guys can probably take in. But the, the key is, you know, the good coaches are always trying to be the dumbest person in the room, right? They're, right. they're trying to constantly learn. So I, by no means, tell you guys I'm an expert in the strength world or this. Where I have had conversations with guys is saying, hey, beyond mechanics, beyond some of the measurements we've taken, something looks wrong in this specific area. Go talk to this person who knows more about it than me, right? It's, you're not afraid to refer to other people as long as there is a like-minded discussion on how to help that athlete achieve their goals. But, you know, even coming down to specific drills I've done or, or you know, drills, for example, Kip's done with med ball stuff, like, those things have changed over the course of years based on, like, me learning a new piece of hitting information in terms of how hitters want to load. He's made adjustments to how some of the med ball throws are done and, and vice versa. So it is a constant learning process, but that, that's with the notion in mind that we're we're not claiming to know everything about everything. It is getting ourselves educated on all fields, trying to have a specialization in one specific area, and then refer you to somebody who is more knowledgeable, right? So when we talk about weight gain and in strength, like, yeah, I can give you tips of things I've learned from Kip, but it's better to hear it out of his mouth because he can go way more in detail with you. Um, so this is the part here. Uh, we're going to go kind of brief over each part of it, but this is something for you guys to kind of jot down and, and pay attention to is when we go through a training day, right, when we have these programs designed, there's a specific pattern, specific order we like to go into. So that order being your warm-up, then skill-specific training, your throwing, your hitting, fielding, all that stuff, followed by the, the, the weight room activity, which we'll let Kip kind of get into. But <clears throat> Kip, from your experience and the, and the research you've done, why is it beneficial to go warm-ups into skill, then into the weight room? Uh, so I kind of touched on this in my last segment, right? So um, I think at this point that you guys have a pretty good understanding of where we're going to be basing our warm-ups from, right? So um, there's a three-step process to that, right? As guys come in, we're going to essentially do our release, our release work, which is going to be our and any, anything that's going to range from using a foam roller to a massage gun to a lacrosse ball, whatever tool that it may be as far as like with the athletes' personal choices. And we're going to spend about five minutes on that. I'm going to give them anywhere from three to five key areas to work on addressing with that as far as, you know, if it's, if it's minimizing soreness or stiffness in specific areas of their body that might be overactive that we just kind of need to work on getting loosened and getting some blood flow into that area. Um, so that's going to be the first step of that process. Uh, step two is going to be our reset drills, which are, again, our positional breathing drills. And this is something that we can elaborate on in future podcasts and go more into detail with. But this is where, again, having somebody like Dr. Fu comes into play because he can take our players through a very thorough evaluation as far as giving them more 
um, specific specific reset drills based off what their biomechanical inefficiencies are and getting in getting them into a, their joints into a better starting position right and then again we're going to follow that with our mobility drills which could be anywhere from say eight to ten sometimes as many as 12 mobility drills um joint by joint approach and we're going to work on um you know accessing and, and gaining full range of motion uh throughout every joint right and the majority of restrictions we're going to see um, specifically with baseball players are a lack of right hip rotation shoulder rotation rotation and and, and torso rotation so those um kind of three key areas between the hips the shoulders and the torso are going to be heavily emphasized as a part of what we do from our mobility drills are concerned um, from there we are going to get into our, our dynamic warm-up so, oh no, sorry. Um, prior to the dynamic warm up, depending on the training day, let's say for example, me and Ace are working together with an athlete and they're coming in to say, do their baseball specific skill work before they come into the weight room and work with me. So um, they're, they're gonna get into their baseball specific skill work uh, preceding the mobility work. Um, so whatever that may be from Ace's perspective, he, he wants to speak more from that end. Uh, following the baseball specific skill work is when we're going to come back into the weight room and we're going to we're going to get into the power section um, of the training process meaning we're going to work on addressing everything from our jumping work plyometrics med ball training um, speed acceleration agility change of direction work depending on what the focus is on for that day um, there's a very specific model that we'll go into more detail in in later podcasts once we give more of a, a a better breakdown of what an overall structured program is going to look like. Uh, from there, we'll get into our strength work. Um, so we'll probably spend anywhere from, I'd say about 35 to 45 minutes in the weight room, right? Focusing on our, our big compound lifts, um, whether it's squats or deadlifts. And then we're going to work on, right, our split stance lunge work, single leg work, um, you know, various um, <clears throat> variations of <clears throat> pushing and pulling exercises. Of course, proper core work um, and a steady dose of, of arm care as well. Following our strength work, again, depending on like how many days an athlete comes in, we're either going to get to our conditioning session. And again, that's that's a very specific topic at hand as far as how we go about approaching uh, conditioning as well as energy system development for baseball players. And then the final piece is always going to be the the recovery piece or the, the cool down, right? And again, we have various tools for recovery as far as whether it's, you know, the Normatec <clears throat> compression pants, the Mark Pros. Of course, we have a great manual therapist on hand. Um, a lot of times I'll tell guys to go back into the warm-up section and if they need to form roll certain areas that, again, they feel are, are tight or stiff or overactive, then do that. Um, they can always do their reset drills to kind of downregulate. Um, or go through a few of the highlighted mobility drills that they have in the warm-up section. Again, um, depending what our assessment showed and what kind of their main limitations that they need to address, um, especially after they come out of the weight room or after they come after doing baseball-specific skill work, um, throwing specifically, right? Um, you're you're, you're going to have a tendency to lose range of motion, so it's, it's important to work on normalizing range of motion immediately after throwing. And again, expediting recovery and preparing them to come back stronger the following day to, to train and move in the right direction. So that's, you know, 
that that was kind of the the big answer there was the the reason we go from warm-ups to the skill specific stuff is there's a big set of things that we have to follow up after our throwing after some of our hitting related uh, activities uh with the throwing aspect of it so like you know we talked about or we said we would touch on the the skill specific so there's a reason when we have specific days throwing so let's say it is just a a drill day where we're working on patterning. I think a lot of guys don't understand. Patterning is we saw something in our assessments that showed we were pushy or we didn't load our scap the right way. Something that created a inefficient movement or maybe someone's very efficient. We just want to build upon it and continue to protect them and help them stay strong in those specific movements. But we create a lot of patterning-based drills to retool and kind of remap how the arm and the body move efficiently. And then once we've done that for a while, let's say, you know, a phase of four or five weeks, then we start limiting some of the reps on that and increasing some of the stress reps, right? Your, your ground balls where you're taught to field it and move fast and throw hard, right? Or, you know, your traditional pull-down days where it's about getting guys to feel the that added stress of trying to throw hard, like we're trying to throw as far as we can long toss or pull down, throw as quickly, as hard as we can from a short distance. And, you know, and then we follow that up with some basic recovery-based stuff, which addresses range of motion to a, to a degree, but obviously, you know, following up your throwing and hitting, going into the weight room helps. But there's also, you know, something we try to focus on. So when we write these programs, right, like obviously hitting, there's very, it's very phased on where the athlete is and the time of the year, right? Uh, are we working ground connection? Are we working hip direction and rotation? There's a lot that goes into it that we, you know, we're, we're going to cut this short here in a couple minutes, but because each one of these things we talk about can go so much more in depth. And we just kind of want to give you guys the the basis of an order to follow. So at bare minimum, if you learn nothing else today, learn the order to follow when you're doing your own program. If you guys can't get in to work with myself and Kip, uh, you know, in the in the near future here. But there's something we, we talk about that is a little bit more difficult to understand, but it's, it's basically called the training economy, which is you, your body has so much units of whatever it is give it a title energy or whatever that it can use in the day so how how i've heard this talked about best in in the baseball world is if you think about going to a bank and you you're going to withdraw money you can only withdraw as much as you have in there otherwise you're going to go into the red you're going to go into the negative it's very similar with the way our body functions if i'm doing max pull down and swinging as hard as i possibly can and then kip's got it scheduled well they're going to do you know, heavy deadlifts and heavy, ex a kid's going to get beat up. Now, that's not to say a kid cannot handle that for that day, but then the, the following days are going to be very specific to how we're training a kid. So if we see, at least in the baseball world, the reason we have it where when we do like a day, like a pull down, the next day is always a recovery day. And usually there's a, a, a full rest day to follow with that. It's trying to get you guys to utilize the most of what you have without drawing into that red area there is that something you kind of focus on in the weight room a little bit as well yeah exactly so like the model that i've i've essentially adapted over the years is kind of like a high 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 
medium low high low medium model so um you know if you say for example i have quite a few athletes that actually come and train with me six days a week so their program is going to be structured right differently than somebody who trains five four three or, or two days a week um it just gives us more opportunities as far as what we need to get accomplished so um you say for example you know monday is typically going to focus on whether it's linear speed or acceleration and then it's going to be a um, a lower body focused strength training day in the weight room and of course there's going to be plenty of arm care um, work sprinkled into the training session so typically that's going to be your most um, that's going to be on the higher level training intensity right and then Tuesday is going to be kind of more low to medium where the focus is going to be on upper body work we're going to do our fair share of um, med ball work, working on rotational med ball variations as well as overhead med ball variations. Uh, but that day can also focus on lateral as well as multi-directional spinning agility or change of direction work. So um, again, this is allowing us to check all our boxes as far as what we need to accomplish from um, an overall athletic comprehension standpoint. Uh, Wednesdays when they come in, again, a lot of this is going to be dependent upon where we are in the off-season. It could either be a recovery-based day where we're going to work on mobility circuits. So we're, again, enhancing recovery. We're working on work capacity. And, and of course, with mobility circuits, you always get the added benefit of, of enhancing mobility and improving athleticism. Um, or it can be a sprint day, again, as the off-season progresses, and we need to work on getting guys faster. Um, so say, for example, <clears throat> had a couple of young athletes come in last night um one of them is a six-day week guy another guy is a i think i believe a five-day week guy so wednesday is dedicated to working on linear speed so we did top end sprints where again we're working on maximal velocity or or top end speed so that was the essentially the focus right from from the warm-up process into the dynamic warm-up as we're kind of doing our build-up work with technical drills and things of that nature um, and then after we hit our, our speed work, I believe we did eight sprints at say 90 plus percent intensity. Uh, we hit up our recovery work after and it was a good training session, right? So, um, and then kind of the cycle repeats itself throughout the course of the week, right? So, right, Thursday is the same focus as Monday. Friday is the same focus as Tuesday. And then Saturday, of course, is the same focus as Wednesday. And then they always have that optional day of coming in and just working on recovery work and getting some light work capacity work in so they feel fresh and recovered by the time Monday comes around. And like I said, I mean, guys, you take a look at it from, our, from the baseball perspective, at least our guys in particular. Monday is usually a lighter, more emphasis on patterning less less reps right which kind of feeds into the fact that it's a higher load management day in the weight room tuesday is a recovery day for us wednesday is a day that could be on the lesser side or or shorter side in terms of the strength room that's one of our more intense days of throwing thursdays our recovery day which partners perfectly with the fact that it's going to be a little bit higher load day again so what we're trying to do is constantly monitor the workload and they try to work together are there days that they, they coincide where there's a lot more stress yes but like i know for a fact like he just mentioned sundays are usually off for mobility same with us right we are off on sunday and the whole emphasis is get your rest in get mobility circuits in take a walk right lower impact stuff that can help you rest was it active rest is what you like to talk about right yeah active recovery yeah active yeah. recovery right get yourself recovering but you know letting your body heal and overcome some of the stresses from the week before so 
you know, with that, like I said, we'll kind of wrap it up here because we can talk about some of this stuff for hours at a time. But the main emphasis is to, for you guys to take out of this today is warm up, which Kip discussed, you know, listen back to if you need to the different types of warm ups, skill specific, you know, our throwing and our hitting related programs, right? Depending on the week, time of the week, it's either patterning or it's some intense like stuff. Now, as we tr like transition into in season, it'll be a lot more patterning and, and recovery based throwing and hitting. And then getting into the weight room where you're going to work on your power, followed by strength, followed by your conditioning, recovery. You know, I, like we talked about before, though, get a coach if you can, if you have the capability and the means to do it. The resources are here for you guys. You guys, if you're not from the facility, you're from outside listening, you feel free to direct message us, me at Complete Baseball Performance on Instagram, Kip at Top Performance Strength 22, correct? At Instagram, shoot us an email, whatever it might be. We, you know, we're willing to help you guys do as much as we can, inform you guys, and give you as many resources as we can. But, you know, you can't do that unless, you know, you ask. And, you know, along that line, if you guys are getting stuff from this, obviously we have a ton more we're going to talk about. We're going to constantly keep posting. I know we're talking about, you know, we've been going about once a week. We're going to bump that up to two, three times a week at least here because we, yeah, maybe even five times a daily podcast, even if they're shorter, right? Ten minutes, five minute little increments here just to constantly keep giving you guys information and help you guys get through this process of, you know, high school, college, youth development seasons as we draw closer to our uh, start of in-season here. So if you guys can, share this with whoever. Uh, feel free to reach out to us with any questions, but keep note when if you're trying to do programming on your own, follow, follow the pattern because it is designed to help enhance your performance, and, and keep you safer. Good to go. All right, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.